podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. There is only one solution to unhappiness, engaging in the process by which separation is undone and perfect oneness is restored. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. John Mundy. Dr. John is an author, lecturer, the publisher of Miracles Magazine, and director of the Miracle Studies Program for All Faiths Seminary in New York City. He taught courses in philosophy and religion from 1967 to 2008 at the New School University and the State University of New York, specializing in the history of mysticism. The author of 10 books, his newest book is A Course in Mysticism and Miracles. His previous book, Living a Course in Miracles, has become a perennial bestseller and now exists in eight languages. He has also produced 149 YouTube presentations on A Course in Miracles. John met Dr. Helen Schuckman, the scribe of A Course of Miracles, in 1973. Helen introduced John to the course and served as his counselor till she became ill in 1980. He also appears on occasion as Dr. Baba John Mundane, a stand-up philosopher-comedian. Meet Dr. John at miraclesmagazine.org. Here is the interview with Dr. John Mundy. In your own words, who is Dr. John Mundy? Well, that's an interesting question because it has two answers. Uh, there's who this body is in space-time on planet Earth, uh, which um, is walking around here, and then there's who we are, all of us, in truth, and who we are in truth, according to A Course in Miracles, which is what we'll be talking about, is that we are all, quite literally, the Christ, meaning that we are of one mind, which would be united with the mind, which we call uh, God's mind. Now, as far as uh, this uh, body and space line, <laughs> Um, I'm a teacher of A Course in Miracles. I've been doing so for over 40 years. I've uh, written several books uh, based on the course. I used to be a college professor at the State University of New York and, and, and also in New York City at the New School University, teaching courses in philosophy and religion and psychology and worked as a minister for years, uh, all total, doing both things at the same time, both teaching and at the university at the same time as I was at the church, or churches, as the case may be, um, and just really have always felt very called to do this and nothing else. By that, I mean, I think 
when I was, well, I actually told my parents I was going to become a minister at the age of nine. And by the time I was 18 years old, I was actually working as a paid minister at a, a church, a rural Missouri country churches. Um, and really knowing that what I wanted to do with the whole of my life is um, <laughs> what we all want to do in good sense is to figure out why the heck are we here and how do we get here and how do we get out of here <laughs> <Right>. safely? <laughs> <laughs> safely, right. That's the operative word. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, right. True. How did you discover a course in miracles? Well, actually, um, I my first book was in 1973. It was called Learning to Die. And I was giving a lecture at a conference in Chicago. Uh, was sponsored by an organization called Spiritual Frontiers. And... Two of the people who came to listen to my talk were Dr. Helen Shookman and Dr. Bill Thetford. Helen was the scribe of A Course in Miracles. So that was in 73. And but we both lived in New York City, uh, actually only a few blocks from each other. I lived on the West 19th Street. She was on East 17th, so it was just across town. And um, Bill saw a letter that I wrote that was published in the Journalist Transpersonal Psychology in 1974, told Helen he thought it was a call for her to complete the writing of a booklet that was called Psychotherapy, Purpose, Process, and Practice, which was completed after the course was completed, in which I was expressing interest in being in contact with people who were working in the fields of psychotherapy and spirituality. Helen called me, uh, reminded me of our conversation and having met in 73, and invited me to come over to Dr. Ken Wapnick's apartment the next Sunday evening <clears throat> to meet her and Ken and Bill. And they told me about the course and how it came into existence and gave me a copy of uh, the manuscript of the psychotherapy pamphlet. And I really walked home that night thinking that the most important thing which ever happened to me just happened. I didn't know what it was, but it was right down my alley in terms of the kind of things that I was already teaching at the New School University at the time, uh, exploring mysticism, uh, primarily mystical experiences. Uh, I've written a couple of books based on the whole history of mysticism, and it's the most fascinating uh, <clears throat> topic I think that you can possibly address. Uh, once uh, another mystic called it the most romantic of adventures, right? <laughs> It is the most romantic of adventures. What is mysticism and how is it different from enlightenment? Um, mysticism is an experience. Uh, it is an experience of God or wholeness or unity or connectivity or oneness or somehow or another. It's an experience which is outside of the normal, normal in quotation marks, realms of our, our human consciousness and our human mind. And the difference from enlightenment is that a lot of people are subject to having mystical experiences. They can occur for any variety of, of reasons. We know, according to a study, 20, some 22 different reasons that it can occur. Um, but it has the feature of being temporal. By that I mean mystical experiences do not last. We think of enlightenment as an experience which would be 
permanent and total. Once you're there, you're there. And uh, it's unlikely that you would lose it. So we would think of a Jesus or a Buddha or a Mahavir or somebody like that as being somebody who has achieved that state and is able to maintain that state. There are lots of mystics. Uh, there are much fewer people who actually are enlightened. And I'm wondering if these experiences lead to knowing, and then if that knowing can be translated by the intellect. Yeah, certainly it can be uh, related to knowing. In fact, as of course, the miracles makes a very important distinction between perception and knowing. Perception is what happens with our bodily senses, uh, our eyes and ears and everything. But at the same time, that's true. The Course says that perception is inherently judgmental, uh, simply meaning that everything that we look at, we judge. So we're pretty or ugly or good or bad or nice or not nice. or We throw our definitions out onto whatever it is that we are seeing. So it's related to knowledge, and it, it, the Course actually does a complete distinction between perception and knowledge. Knowledge being this rather pure form of understanding or knowing. For example, if one were to say, uh, are you in love? And someone would say, I, uh, I don't know for sure. They're not, because if they were, they would know it. It's a, something you know. It's a conviction that's inside you. There's an interesting clip of Dr. Carl Jung being interviewed the day, the day, the year before he died, in 1961, by the BBC in London. And the interviewer uh, says to Dr. Jung, "Dr. Jung, do you believe in God?" And Dr. Jung stops for a moment and pauses, and then he says, "Believe in God? No, I know, I know." It's a totally different thing to know than it is to believe. Beliefs are weak. So knowledge is a, has with it a kind of conviction. Uh, one knows things. One knows God, for example. One knows one's in love. And it's not, there's no question about it. And a lot of people relate that knowing is something that is the domain of the heart. Do you agree that that is the case? Well, it's, it's really a heart-mind thing it's a combination of the of the two it's uh, it's in the heart but it's also in the mind so the two are connected in in, in that sense where is the mind or consciousness located in the body i have heard different answers but yeah what would you say well in terms of a course of miracles it's not in the body at all uh, the body is a totally separate thing the body is something which is uh, finite uh, it's not the it's not the brain. For the brain is a very very sophisticated computer, but it's not who you are, right? So the mind is more closely related to spirit. Uh, spirit would be the thing which is totally independent of the body. So, for example, uh, we say when some <clears throat> when we take our first breath, it's as though the when we come out of the womb, when we take the first breath, we take the first inhalation. And then when the spirit leaves, we exhale our last breath, we, and spirit leaves the body. So spirit, mind is, and 
independent of the body, but as long as we're, quote, alive within the context of the body, then the mind is that which uh, rules the body. By rules the body, I mean moves the body, makes decisions, uh, eats, sleeps, uh, does all the things that one does in the world. But the Course is very clear that you are not a body. Bodies are limitations in form, and every body dies, which proves that it's nothing eternal about it. The mind is eternal. So that leads me to a bigger question. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Well, I do not know one single esoteric mystical tradition that doesn't say that this place is a school. Uh, it's a school, it's a classroom, it's a, a prison. Of course, actually, it can be a prison. Um, it, I, I like to joke that it's a reformatory or it's, it's a mental hospital. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it just depends on how you want to look at it. But in any event, it's a school or it's a classroom. So we're here to learn something. And what we're here to really learn is we're really here to learn how to remember and what we're remembering is the truth we're remembering who we are in reality as opposed to who we are within the context of space-time and the world based in the, the teachings of a course in miracles is there a belief or is there a knowing that there is a consciousness or whatever we think we are in the body survives physical death well, certainly, uh, as I was just saying, the, the fact that you have a body doesn't mean that, that you're eternal. Life is something which extends beyond the body. You know, it's come before and goes after, body being that which is temporal, only here for actually a very, very short time. If you're even 80, 90 years, that's really nothing in relationship to infinity. And you're infinite. That there's a, one of the most frequently used line in the Course in Miracles is one of the workbook lessons, and that workbook lesson is, "I am not a body; I am free. I am still as God created me. God created the spirit, and not the body. Body is something which happens again in space time, very temporal." So, with that in mind, talk to me about the ego. Well, the ego, also in terms of the course, um, is actually a non-entity. Uh, by that I mean it actually doesn't exist, although it certainly looks like it does, because it seems to be the thing which, is, if you will, possesses the body. We're very identified. The body is the ego's chosen home. So on an ego level, we are very identified with this body. We do indeed think this is who we are, which is one of the reasons we're afraid of dying, because we're afraid that the loss of the body is going to be the loss of our identity. And there is a certain sense in which that is true in terms of the loss of the ego identity, but you can't lose your spiritual identity, therefore you can't lose your eternal identity. Uh, you can only lose who you are. Like, for example, there will not be a John Mundy in heaven. And it just doesn't work that way. It's not a matter of personality. Uh, somebody, There are no preachers in heaven. There are no doctors in heaven. What do you need doctors for? There's no body there. There are no captains or lieutenants or, you know, what do we need war people for? There's no war in heaven. You know, it's, I could keep running down the list of things like the, the things that the body does in the world, which have nothing to do with... Uh, with who we are 
within the context of eternity. In one of your articles, it says, it might be from A Course in Miracles, you say, there is no material world as we know it. All that we perceive to be matter is held together by a force. And this force is intelligence. This is challenging to imagine that there is no material world. Well, in, in a temporal sense, there is. By a temporal sense, I mean in space-time, there is. Um, but that's not, not in eternity. It's not. So the, the course would draw a very important distinction between time and eternity. So time and the world and space is kind of a box that we're in temporarily. So when the temporary part ends or stops, then eternity is that which extends before that and after that. Actually, we can't talk about eternity in terms of space and time. We, we tend to think in terms of linearly. We tend to think of past, present, future. That's in a line. But we're going into a state the Course actually refers to as timelessness. So in timelessness, there is no time by definition. You know, eternity is eternity. Heaven's eternity. Um, this world is not eternal. There's nothing which rusts, rots, decays that's capable of turning from one form into another form that has any eternity in it. Uh, five billion years from now, which sounds like a long time away <laughs> in space time, it is a long time away. Our sun is due to explode. When it explodes, it will wipe out the entire solar system as we know it. So in that sense, everything will be gone of the material form. It has nothing to do with what's spiritual. How can we navigate this reality through the lens of eternity without this idea and concept of time as we know it? What would that look like, Dr. John? It's difficult to talk about what something looks like when it's not of a physical dimension because we're focused on our eyes and the way the eyes and the senses that sees things. So you're starting to talk about transcends time and space. So this is what the transcendentalists uh, back in the uh, early part of the 19th century, like Thoreau and Emerson were talking about. We're talking about we'll just call it intuition. We're talking about knowledge again. We're talking ability to know something outside of the context of the mundane and the physical and the space and time dimension. So we know it, but one of the basic characteristics of a mystical experience is that it you cannot really describe it. It's really impossible practically to describe it unless you've had that kind of if you've had that kind of experience, then you have some sort of sense about what it's all about. But um you, words are physical things. A, a written word's a physical thing, a spoken word's a physical thing, it's a sound vibration, right? So we're talking about something which transcends like there's a line in the Course of Miracles where it says God does not understand words. That diminutive process is nothing physical about it. We couldn't limit it into a form. So God understands the heart and the mind, but it's not, I mean, God doesn't speak Chinese or English or, you know, or anything like that. Those are all things we made up as tools to 
enables to get through this world. And they're very handy tools. So that's what you and I are working with uh, all the time, especially right now. Right? But the tool is not the thing. Perhaps the word is now what it looks like, eternity would look like, but feel like. Do you think we are able to sense and feel? Yeah, of course. I mean, what are we talking? We, love is the thing. I mean, I don't... It doesn't make any difference what religion you're talking about. It doesn't make whatever experience you're talking about. If you want to bring it down into one word, it's always going to be love. Love is the experience. And you know that you have the experience of love, even though the very best poets and the best musicians, etc., they write songs about it and poems about it. And it's like pointing to it. It's like going in the right direction. But still, that's not it. It still goes like, you know, I, I can look at my wife and I say, can say, I love you. And I can say, I love you a lot. I love you very much. I can write a poem. But that's still not it. Mm. Transcends all that. You speak of the soul in a very interesting way. You wrote something, or maybe it was a section of A Course in Miracles. You say, the soul is always longing for a deeper, cleaner understanding of truth. So the idea we, I have of the soul is that it's all knowing. It's not looking for anything. I connected the soul to the spirit, perhaps. So do you separate these ideas, soul, spirit, God? Uh, yes. Um, the Course actually very rarely uses the word soul at all. It almost always uses the word spirit uh, because we tend to associate the word soul with personalities like poor soul, sweet soul. You know, we tend to give it that kind of definition. Uh, but the spirit is we can talk about the spirit of God or the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of Christ. I mean, and that's, it's another, it's, it's more universal. It's less individual soul tends to be related to the individual, which we're looking really to transcend the uh, individual. With all these chains or shifts, I'd say in 2020, what do you think at this moment is our greatest need? And also, do you have a vision for a new reality? Well, our greatest need is to do what in some ways we are being forced to do um, by the COVID and by uh, social unrest and by the death of various institutions. The church, whether you're aware of it or not, is dying very, very rapidly. Uh, there are going to be some churches that are not going to survive this, especially some of the little ones. Um, because it's not a matter of where it's at, you know, it's, it's really transcending the whole thing. I think the thing that's good about this is it's several things. One is, uh, it can help us to all become aware of what's going on on a deeper dimension of connectivity, which again, has nothing to do with our bodies being in physical proximity and relationship to one another. It's sort of interesting that technology has brought us this in a way. I'm I'm doing so much work now on Zoom. I just got off of a, teaching a class an hour ago and we'll be doing another one soon. And uh, it's, it's like this invisible thing that's there that has a form that shows up on my computer screen 
and I can relate to people. I get all their expressions and everything that, that's going on. But that's, you know, it, it's another dimension. It's a dimension of recognizing. I think it's good in some ways that some of the institutions uh, are are dying. The church has been dying for a very, very long time. There's nothing new about that. It's the Methodist Church, of which I was a, a minister, uh, has lost 65% of its membership uh, since 1965. So it's been a, it's about 1% per year loss that's been going on. And that's true for the Presbyterians and so many of the others are the, the traditionals. And the reason that that's true is because people don't want more laws and creeds and dogmas and rules and regulations being thrown on top of them. They want to be able to feel this out, think this out, sense this out for themselves which is why something like A Course in Miracles or other things besides A Course in Miracles has this amazing appeal to people because they know that this is speaking the truth uh, without all the dogmas and the laws and the creeds and the rituals. The rituals are just uh, in and of themselves. I mean, some of them are nice, but um, that's not where it's at. That's just a, it's just a process that one goes through in a ritualistic kind of way. There's a line in the Course in Miracles where it says that rituals can be gods unto themselves. So, Do you have a, um, a vision for a new, let's say, no reality for the physical forms on this plane? Well, for the physical form, yeah. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, um, as we begin to transcend this, uh, I think folks who are waking up, the more we wake up, the healthier you have to be. And you will take this more seriously in terms of taking this into your body. I think it's always been very interesting that people we would call, quote, new age, for example, have always been much more health conscious than traditional folks. You know, it used to be when I was a Methodist minister after the service on Sunday, you go back into the fellowship hall and there'd be a table filled with uh, donuts and cookies and all kinds of sugary things. And (laughs) 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 you know, it's like, well, you know, now you've had some, uh, something to enliven. Now here's some poison. (laughs) Be sure you have, here's here's your coffee and and donut. Be sure you get. So that's a kind of way. I think that people in general, should be become more progressively healthier in lots of ways. Um, Also, just in terms of understanding how to treat the body, we understand Mm -hmm. so much more than we used to. That's every way in terms of the way we eat, in terms of the way we move this body or exercise this body, et cetera. That's going to continue to have a a progressive effect on us. And uh, this is not prejudicial, but just, you know, should be aware of the fact that, say, with the COVID, the people who are less likely to survive this, uh, unfortunately, are those who are very overweight. And um, that's just, that's unhealthy for the body. So the body can't, the body can't handle it. The body is not immune, can't handle it, doesn't have the, the level of immunity that it should have because it's been mistreated. And we do that with a lot of other things besides, <clears throat> well, you know, overdoing it with, with drugs or alcohol and that sort of thing. So there's a waking of consciousness that enables us to get beyond the misuse of the body. 
There is another phrase that I read in your work, miraclesmagazine.org. You said, there is no problem outside of me. Accepting this truth means accepting immense responsibility. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about this phrase, this statement. Okay, so um, actually I'm going to be doing a talk uh, this coming Sunday, uh, which says, uh, only the self-accused condemn and think not that you can see sin in anyone except yourself. Now, what that means is the basic function of the ego is projection. And the projection is that the problem is not in me, it's in you. It's in the outside world. I, have, I find, I look around, I would not want to be involved in politics yeah. um, because right. politics is talking about what's wrong with the other guy. Right. And why right. the other guy is not the right guy, you know, or the right woman, as the case may be, right? Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's not, that cannot be fun. That can be fun. We need to be looking for what's right, not what's wrong. And, uh, that's why the definition of Jesus is it appears in the course. It's very nice. It says Jesus was a man who saw the face of Christ in all of his brothers and sisters and remembered God. Mm-hmm. How do you remember God? By seeing the face of Christ in all of his brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. we see the love, we respond to the love. We don't look for the problems. Uh Somebody who's advancing spiritually would never engage, for example, in what we might call name-calling. You know, name-calling is just finding the problem out there. What the Course says us to do is to stop that kind of nonsense and to turn and look within and see the problem. It's in me because I see it. One of the ways that we talk about this is if you spot it, you got it. You know, so if you spot it, Mm -hmm. you got it. So it's, but it's inside you because that's not what God sees. God sees that you, that everyone is a beloved child, uh, son, daughter, call whatever you want it, but a beloved child, and everyone is absolutely equal. There is no favorite child at all. That would be impossible to be a favorite child. Uh And that's what makes us connected, too. We're all connected on that same level or the same dimension. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me think about unconditional love. Yeah, it's unconditional. It's absolute. No judgment at all. I think it's funny when people talk about, oh, he lost his life. You can't lose your life. You can lose your you can lose your body. Yeah, sure. You're gonna lose everybody's everybody's gonna lose their body. Right. <laughs> but you can't lose you can't lose your life. The life is the part which is eternal. And that's true for everything that is alive. It's not just for human beings. Uh, <laughs> Every part of nature. And it feels like everything changed the way we perceive this reality once we come from that understanding, yeah, unconditional love. And that also goes back to the word that you use in your work in the Course of Miracles, the miracle word. So we start seeing miracles everywhere. Do you connect miracles to magic? No. Definitely, magic is something which happens in the physical plane of dimension. Miracles represent a change in mind by which we are able to see more purely. We're able to love. That's what a miracle. Miracle has nothing to do with some sort of phantasmagorical parting of the Red Seas or anything like that. 
it's strictly something that happens within the context of the mind when the mind moves from projection to forgiveness to love. And that's the miracle is that I can now see miraculously. I can see lovingly. So it's more connected to uh, unconditionally loving or unconditional love. In terms of a course in miracles, I'm sorry. In terms of a course in miracles, something like a medicine even is magic. Because medicine means that we're using a physical substance to affect the physical substance. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because on the level of magic, magic works on the level of magic. But it's not a miracle. Talk to me for a moment about the intention of creating the website miraclesmagazine.org. Well, um, I started Miracles Magazine uh, 35 years ago. Uh, which was really kind of an outgrowth of um, what this is back when I was working as a minister. And one of the members of the church that I was serving uh, came to me, he was moving, was going to a different state. And he said, uh, if I give you a dollar a week, uh, would you make a copy of your sermon, which I, I wrote them out, he knew I wrote them out, and send it to me, I'd like to be able to be able to read them. And so I said, sure. And I thought, well, I could send one to my mother and my sister and this person and that person. And if anybody else wants it, they'd have to pay for it. And so I just started it. I started it. It's a literal, physical magazine. Uh, it's also in digital format now, of course, uh, both formats. Um, and I started adding poetry and I started adding other people's writings. And the next thing I knew, I had a regular magazine that I was publishing. And we're actually one of the magazines that's uh, growing. And most magazines are, are, are going down. And the reason that they're going down is because everything's on the computer now and everything's online. Uh, and uh, we, while well, we still are, of course, online, as I just said, uh, we do not rely on advertising. To most magazines rely on it. They don't make money from the subscriptions. The subscriptions are best paid for the postage, and that's about it. So everything else gets paid for by advertising. We don't get paid by advertising. We get paid from donations that people send us because they like the kind of work that we're doing in ministry and they want to support it. And we're a nonprofit, so that's the way we we continue to to grow as people become more interested in the Course in Miracles. And not just the course. We're not limited to A Course in Miracles. There are several other things out there now, like A Course of Love, for example. There's a way of mastery. And it seems like more and more there are more and more inspirational books uh, being published that come from people who feel like they've got a direct connection. And so we're looking at those as well. I think you mentioned Thinking with God. This is one, the title of one of your articles. I'm wondering how do we know the difference between that voice that speaks to us, the voice of God and the voice of the ego? Is that clear and easy to distinguish? Well, no, it's not always clear and easy because, first of all, the ego is going to disguise itself as God on occasion. Hey, this is God talking. Uh, you know, <laughs> True. <laughs> I, th I think you should go in debt and buy a really fancy car. <laughs> that's so not true. probably God. <laughs> that's more like the ego talking. So in terms of the course, we have these two voices that are always talking to us inside our heads. 
we know a lot more about the ego than we do the voice of God because that's the one that we're used to. That's the thing that bangs around and gives us all kinds of trouble and like causes you guilt and worry and shame and, and all that stuff. And uh, it usually nags at you <clears throat> or tells you what you should do or could do or how much money you could make or things like that. The voice for God, the Course in Miracles, is always quiet. Um, it's very simple. It's very, uh, let me give you a little example. Um, it's also when you hear it, it's not like, you know, it's not your voice. And what I mean by not your voice, it's not something that you would necessarily say to yourself. For example, I was working once with somebody who was paranoid. Now, paranoia is a very difficult thing to deal with. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to treat. Uh, psychologists have a lot of difficulty with people who are paranoid and they usually wind up suggesting drugs and drugs are not the solution because they just kind of put you to sleep rather than help you to come out of it. Um, so I prayed. How, how can I help this person? And I heard very, very clearly, but it wasn't like my own voice and all it simply said was, referring to this individual, how am I supposed to help her? And the answer was, just keep loving her. I thought, wow, that's a perfect answer. I mean, that's just like, just keep loving her. I mean, what, what else can you do except keep loving this person? Well, as a matter of fact, that was a number of years ago, uh, and I'm still working with that person. And I can't say that they've been cured but on the other hand, I would say that they're much better. They certainly have a good relationship. We certainly have a good relationship uh, with each other. Uh, I know that she uh, trusts me, and trust is a very important thing from someone who's paranoid. But you'll know when it's a deeper inner kind of, it'll always be something which is very loving. It'll always be something that's very comforting and very reassuring. It would never be anything that would distract you or take your peace away from you. In fact, it would bring peace to you. That's one of the ways to tell, right? And that's, that's true for everyone all the time. It's just, but you just have to be aware that it's possible. Uh, I was talking today to someone who is uh, dying uh, from cancer. And uh, this person was talking about how uh, she has these moments of absolute peace and quiet and serenity that come over her. That's God's voice. Uh, and then she has these other times when she'll get anxious and uh, upset and she has to look at that. And so she's kind of going back and forth between the two. Uh, but the voice of God will come during those times where she's absolutely at peace and uh, accepting of the fact that she is dying, for example. It's okay. It's okay. We're all going to die. There's something that I read in your biography that made me laugh just by looking at it. Dr. Baba John uh, Montaigne, this uh, the stand-up philosopher comedian. Where do you perform these acts? Well, mostly I just do them at the end of workshops or seminars or at churches or places like that. I don't actually get on stage. Uh, I did once at the Comedy Club in New York City for just five minutes, but that was uh, I didn't get paid for it. I just got critiqued that was my pay <laughs> uh, but but it's just it's just for fun i it's really kind of philosophical there's a fellow named swami beyond ananda i don't know whether you've heard of him or not who does stand-up comedy 
as a as a swami and so i thought i was listening to one day and i thought you know i think i could do that i think i could do what he was doing except he was wears a turban and he's swami and uh no i'm not and so actually the guy critiqued me at the comedy club i had the turban at the time and he says uh i like your bit he said i think it was one of the better ones but he said um get rid of the turban and and so I thought, well, who am I? And, and well, I'm a college professor. So I got one of these college professor hats that, you know, like you wear at a graduation and a robe and a stole and put that on. So that's why it's Dr. Babajan Mundane, uh, stand-up philosopher. You know, so I, I mostly it's looking at ironies uh, and, and twists on words. A lot, a lot of play on words stuff that I do. I don't have anything. To, I haven't done it for a couple of years at this point. Uh, I don't think I've stopped, but I just haven't done it recently. Yeah, and that makes me wonder if it is right or it is possible to make the truth, let's say, or life is about who we are into a comedy show. It doesn't seem to be to fit, right? No, I, I think that you could, and that would be really good to do that. A, a lot of comedy is really kind of about that already, pointing out the incongruities that exist in life and yeah. the silliness of the ego, for example. Yeah. The ego yeah. is just silly yeah. sometimes. So. Yeah. Well, that we can make a lot of fun, yeah, a lot of jokes about it for sure. But when it comes to God and the love, unconditional love, I don't know, yeah, because that doesn't make me laugh. It makes me smile and uh, it's lighter, mm -hmm. it's different. Um, right. I have something else here that I found on your website. You said suffering comes when we miscreate. So that's an interesting phrase. Mm -hmm. Well, we miscreate when we get angry. We miscreate when we attack. We miscreate when we see problems in the world without looking inside ourselves. Uh, we miscreate when we call people names. That's all, anything like that is a kind of miscreation. We, we miscreate when we attack or steal or hurt, you know, and it's and that makes suffering is <clears throat> you. There's a line in the Course in Miracles which says you cannot hurt another without hurting yourself. You know, and and, and any time that you would attempt to hurt somebody else, like if you say something negative against them, how often will you say, "Oh, wish I hadn't said that." You know, because that, that was that that didn't help. That was hurtful. The other, you don't want to be hurtful to another person. The Course in Miracles says the most basic law there is in the universe. This is very important. The most basic law there is in the universe is the law of cause and effect. That's the old karma principle from Eastern philosophy. What goes around comes around. As you give, so do you receive. That's really true. So what do you want to be giving out? because it's coming back your way. Just as sure as anything. That's why it's important to be generous and, and loving and giving because that makes you feel good. And especially uh, when you don't advertise it. I mean, generosity which longs to publicize itself ceases to be generosity. So I have a few more questions. Before I ask you those questions, would you like to add anything about your work? Oh, I think you've been very um, uh, complete in, in what you've been asking. The, if anybody's interested, they can visit our website, miraclesmagazine.org. We send out free copies of the magazine to anybody who would like a sample copy. If they 
that maybe they'd like to subscribe. I do a lot of teaching online. I'm teaching two classes right now. Uh, if anybody would like to go to the website to find out more about what the classes are, the classes on A Course in Miracles. Like yourself, I also have a, quote, show. Uh, it's uh, at the moment, it's only on the second Sunday afternoon of each month where I interview, like you, <laughs> somebody who's in this, uh, somebody in this field. Uh, but it's, it's, we call it Sunday with Monday Live meaning it's it's live at the time they're seeing it. I'm actually uh, sharing with that person who's making a similar kind of contribution to actually the kind of thing that you're doing, except we're, we're pretty specifically oriented toward uh, A Course in Miracles, A Course of Love, and just awakening the whole nine non-dualistic philosophies of primary interest uh, as well. Right. That so, sounds wonderful. It is. Fun. It is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> the best gaming time, oh, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I said recently, I've got the best job in the world. I mean, you get, you, I, actually, I thought that about ministry when I was, even when I started, when I was 18 years old, God, you know, all those years ago, I thought, this is so great because I, I, I am forced to sit down once a week, put my thoughts together in a meaningful way that I can then get up and share with other people. And hopefully they will find it inspirational and hopefully they'll get something out of it. And amazingly, I get paid for this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's a miracle in itself. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a few more questions. What is success to you these days? What is to be successful? Oh, the most important element in success is leading a meaningful life. And, and by a meaningful life, that would include a life that is, is loving and that's filled with love and that you're both giving and receiving love. And that the happiest people on earth are the people who are giving and receiving love and just sharing it, but also finding a purpose and a meaning in their lives who are learning how to, to wake up that's the purpose. The purpose is here. If if this is a school, we're here to and do what we're supposed to do, which is to love each other. That's pretty simple. It's so simple that most of us miss it. Yeah, miss that purpose. Miss the simplicity, right? Right. So two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No, other than uh, the same things that anybody else would do, put my life in order. <laughs> 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 by by order, I just mean, uh, you know, do all the factual stuff that one one needs to do, but but continue to be here, to be present for my 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 wife and my uh, daughter and my grandchildren and and all the other people that I enjoy sharing this life with. I mean, we're here to love be lovers for each other so nothing in that order would change what are three things about life you know for sure as of now uh that it's about love uh that it's about meaning and it's about uh purpose and those three things i thought i just said that and i'll say it again <laughs> yeah yes yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. John, for your presence, sharing your wisdom, your mission. Thank you for that. And please tell me again that website that we can find you and your work. It's very simple. It's uh, Miracles Magazine. That's, that's, we publish a magazine called Miracles. MiraclesMagazine.org.
.org. It's not .com or .something else. It's .org. .org. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Yep. Okay, very good. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you, Bavaria. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. John Mundy and his work, please visit miraclesmagazine.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.